Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Web Rush. This is episode 250. Woo, getting up there. Lessons from building with Vue 3. You know, Vue 3 has been out for a while, folks, and a lot of you have been using it quite a bit. And what's nice about doing these kind of episodes is we're going to get a chance to talk to people who've built apps now for a long time with the latest versions of Vue. Say, you know, what's, what's really worked out with these new features and what are the great parts? What are the pitfalls? And we've got a great return guest to talk to you about that. But before we do that, my name is John Pop, along with my co-host Ward, the crazy mad scientist Bell. That's what he looks like half the time. You guys can't see him, but I see him on these videos. And he often comes in from a long hike in the mountains. And it's just, yeah, man, you're like the, you're like the, what is it, Doc Brown? Well, and I, and I just did, John. Uh, for you, I shaved today, but otherwise I get this little, you know, like, Wow, what rock did we drag that old miner out from under? Uh, <laughs> so where was your most recent hiking adventure, man? Because I keep seeing these photos from you. I just came back from a week in the eastern Sierras near Mammoth, and I was fishing, and it is so beautiful. Uh, there is no sky quite like the skies uh, or down there. And I think people have probably heard about Hillary, the hurricane that hits uh, uh, so Southern California. It um, it didn't hit us, but it sent uh, lots of wind and these beautiful clouds that hang over the mountains. And uh, it's tough, but I had to be back here for web rush. And so I suffer for you all. Well, we know how you prioritize your life. And I have to say, you probably made the wrong choice, but uh, <laughs> it, it is good to have you back on the show here. <laughs> Hey, and Alexander Leichter, who's a return guest of ours, been on Web Rush actually just a couple weeks ago, but he had so many great topics. We're like, we need to continue this conversation. So welcome back, Alexander. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me again here. Third time now, so tries the charm, right? It is. And it's a great topic. Like I know there were a lot of angles we could talk about. Last time we talked about a bit of a Nuxt, you kind of hinted at some of the dev tools. Uh, we might get to those a little today, but I think just Vue 3 in general and learning some really good lessons from you about how this all plays out. And I think a good place to start is when Vue 2 went to Vue 3 uh, a couple of years ago now, one of the biggest changes I found for folks, and we talked about this a lot, WebRush, a couple of years ago, is the composition API versus the option API. Now that you've had some you know, pretty great experiences using both, I'd love to hear your thoughts and share with the audience on both of these. But before we do, can you first explain to people what is the Composition API versus the Options API? Yes, of course. So I would start very simple. When Vue 2 was out there, everything was grouped by options. So we had like an export default block for a component, and then you say export default object, and you call um, one section a data function. And the data function, your component state was living in. Then you had another part of that big object, object another option, so to say, called computed, where all your computer properties were in. Same for watchers for methods, then the different lifecycle hooks like mounted, before destroy, and whatever. Um, and in the end, the idea was to have everything neatly grouped by an option. So everything state-related is in data. Everything that's computed is in that computer part. And that played out 
pretty well because people were really easy thinking like, okay, where should I put things in? Oh, okay, it's re it's related to state. I put it in data. Oh, it's based on state and it like it's calculated, can be valid lazily. It's computed fine. Oh, it's an extra helper method. It comes into methods. That all goes well, but there were a few problems with that. The first problem well, would be one, like, okay. For one, Alex, it reminds me of COBOL, where we had the div, uh, yes. the paragraph <laughs> section, the regular section, you, and you would have like, I, I mean, it, I, I joke because anybody who's ever looked at COBOL, you know how freaking crazy yes. the separation up. But there was a, you know area of this functionality and an area for that functionality, and you had to put it in the right places. And with the pages would get so long and you'd have these crazy link back things. And it's like, ah, and view is never that bad. But um, but it does remind me. Luckily not, no. <laughs> no, I, I get that. But it's it's the good thing. The good thing really is like there was there was a very clear structure and people could easily adhere to that. Same for like looking looking for things. Oh, I'm looking for a computer property. Yeah, just find that big computed in that thousand line component and uh, and check where it is. But one one problem is that usually in Vue 2 and in the Options API, you use the this keyword very frequently to magically access data or computer properties or methods and so on. And this works fine, but then TypeScript support comes in and you're like, oh, TypeScript can't really interfere. What is what? Um, so also it seems a bit too much magic for some people and it's less like JavaScript-y, I would say, which I also get. It's You have to get used to it, then it's pretty nice. But there are still some drawbacks when using TypeScript. But that's not the only thing. There is also one, one other concern. And this is because of the grouping. You usually start with, okay, let's group by categories, as in data, computer, methods, and so on. But especially if the component grows and grows, you rather want to group by concern or by functionality rather than by option. So usually then it happens that if the component is big and has like two let's say, features that can't be like uh, delegated to different components, then usually you have these mixed up. So some logic is in data, some is in computed, some is in methods, and these for all the features. And exactly. And then when, you know, when it comes to time and you realize that your component is too big and it has too many things, now if, you can, if they've organized around what, uh, what their purpose is, then you have clear ways to refactor. Whereas if you've got the implementation of seven concerns distributed throughout the thing, you just say, ah, screw it, and it just gets worse. Yes, exactly. Or even just like, okay, you read the code, you want to understand what's happening, and you have to jump through all these options because they're all somehow connected, but somehow are not. Exactly. And that's where the composition API comes in saying, okay, look, you know what? We don't group by options anymore. We have one big setup function. And in that setup function, you can define everything. You can define your state, you can define computer properties, you can define functions just like as normal JavaScript functions can be like named functions or, or arrow functions. You can define all these watchers. You can call your lifecycle hooks. It's all fine. So wait, let me, let me interrupt you then real quick. So I'm going to give you the, the, the naysayers version of that. And I know this isn't what you're saying, but I want to be a little, I want to be word. My channel may a little, little word here <laughs> of, okay, so wait a minute. You just told me the options versions. Basically, we've got separation. We've got things kind of lined up in the right drawers. I know where to find things. And now when I go to composition, everything's in one big, big function. Boy, that sounds hard to manage. It's like, got to be better, right, John? <laughs> <laughs> I was having the same thought. I know that's not the way it is, but tell me about that. that that's really good. And the, the point is here that now it's up to the developer to group it properly. To say like, okay, look, now the developer is in full charge, which means, okay, you still, I, I see that in projects quite, quite some time saying, okay, still like put a big comment in with like, 
state or a big comment with like computers. And I usually say like, no, don't, don't do that. Better group what belongs together. If there is a computer that depends on a part of the state, then please put that computer right after you define that state. So you know, okay, that belongs together. I just have to jump to the line above to understand, oh, that's related. Yeah. The good thing is you don't have to use the this anymore because all the things are available in, these, in the setup function. So you can just refer to them right away like, like you do with normal JavaScript variables. Hey, that's, that's awesome. I am going to interrupt you again because you said you don't have to use this anymore. And that is music to my ears. I mean, I love JavaScript. I love TypeScript too, but I love JavaScript. But the, this keyword, like knowing when to use it, when not to, it's just like, you know, why bother? You know? Yeah, I, I totally understand it. And it's, it's so lovely that you can just refer to that, to these variables, to these computers very easily now. Yeah. There's one more thing to consider about reactivity, but we'll come to that in a bit. But yeah, in the end, you, the developers, like, um, the developer's task is also now to group that properly. And the best part is now you have a very easy way, which is a third problem from before. How would you handle sharing logic and components? Before you would say, okay, let's create a mix-in. And this is where things get really complicated. You create basically a partial component to share it with other components. And then it's like, oh, I call a function here with this dot my function. Oh, where it comes from? It looks for all the components. No, maybe one of the three mix-ins. Uh, here you go again. So th this is not the case anymore because now you can just extract these, like the parts of this in the setup function can just extract them and call them as, as it would be a normal function. And this is what we would call composables now in the composition API. Hey Ward, you know, I was building an application the other day and I pulled in this really cool UI component, but it brought along a lot of dependencies with it. How do you deal with that? I don't like that, John. Um, it reminds me uh, that... The AG Grid, which is a uh, an advanced uh, data editable data table that we use in a lot of our enterprise apps because it it addresses the complex scenarios we encounter. Um, AG Grid doesn't have any dependencies at all. Zero dependencies. Well, tell me why why is that good? Like, what is the value of having zero dependencies? Well, it's it's wonderful not having to wonder if while I'm pulling that in, I'm also pulling jQuery in or Lodash or who knows what. Uh, in part because that's extra stuff coming over the wire. It's extra files that I don't know what they're all about. Uh, it means when my client security team has to evaluate this, they're evaluating AG Grid and not everything else that might be slipping in under the covers or something that we have to worry about there. You know, it's great to see this day and age, you can have a zero dependency library that does something like complex data grid functionality. So all of you out there, do check out AG Grid at their website at ag-grid.com. I like that you're saying this because there's a lot of, like, I like the mix-ins aspect. I haven't heard that argument before because uh, it's definitely a good argument for it. The way I think about this, too, is, like, you talk about the developer having control in the setup. And I, and I appreciate you saying that because let's get off of the code for a minute and think about why we build apps. We build apps because somebody in a business needs some kind of business functionality. And they're asking us to, to solve a challenge, solve a problem, to do a job to do. They're not asking us hey, I want these components and I want these computeds and, and I need these you know, inputs and outputs and props. They don't care about that. And what I'm getting at here is by giving the ability to the developer to decide how to organize and you know, to instantiate the component and where the functionality is and how it should actually sequence and taking it away from these arbitrary, you know, very dictator-like states of you've got to stick these in the computed section. These got to go in the data section. These got to go. It kind of takes us away from the technical reasons for why they exist, options API, 
and it gives us more control back into when you're designing your component, just write the code in the natural order that it makes sense for that component to actually crank up for the business composition API. That's kind of what I hear you saying. Exactly. It's more about how would you tackle that problem to solve and not, oh, like how are the technical aspects you have to think about? Um, so I, t I totally agree. I, I see, I, I totally agree with focusing more on the domain, the problem to solve than on the technical parts. Yes. And then you have this like big setup function. You can extract these composables to, for example, reuse them. And then it's very straightforward again, because you call these functions, they're transparent function calls. So you know, okay, these components get functionality from the same function, for example, from the same composable. And you have no problems with like, oh, there is a name clash. Now how to rename that properly? Oh, I have to change in other components as well. No, you can just, okay, call a function, import that, I don't know, that part of state, that reactive property. And it's not a special view thing, right? It's not like a mix-in special view thing. Now it's just, hey, your set of function needs to call these four functions. You can import them and export them from wherever library. That's just a JavaScript thing, right? It's not a view thing. To, to some degree, yes. Um, uh, there is like, it's also always interesting. There's um, a difference between a composable and like a help or utility function. A composable is usually when it comes to stateful logic. So there's some piece of state and usually also reactivity involved. And the other part is that you can also call view lifecycle uh, methods in composables, like, oh, right. amount to do this and this, which is in a util, you should not really do that. Yeah, so some of these things can be used across Angular, React, wherever, and others are more view specific. Gotcha. So you're talking about reusability. I've always wondered what people are talking about when it talks about reusability and components. I almost never, because I think of components as mainly um, presentational logic, and I, um, I don't see presentation um, being typically reused, you know, unless we're talking about like a widget, all right? But so take widgets out of the equation and talk about application pages or functionality in a page. I don't, I, so I'm curious. What is this reusability part? What kinds of things are, are you looking to make reusable? What kinds of activities? So, so we can even go a bit further away and say, okay, let's not focus on like the business problems and like, okay, I want to reuse a specific component, but really just like part of the logic there. So it could be, okay, you set up in Composable to query your API and you have different API calls for, let's say, to have a repository pattern or whatever. And you might want to do different API calls to the same endpoint in one component, and you don't want to want to duplicate the code there because obviously, if for whatever reason the API or like the result changes, then you want to have that one place. Okay, Alex, you fell into my trap. You fell right into it, uh, uh -oh. uh, which is great. <laughs> That's no, because you know one of my bugaboos is having um, data access management inside of a component because a component is about interacting with a screen and how you inter how you yes. go get data and so forth is in a what we you know I would call a service this is going to lead to something else we're going to talk about uh, and shouldn't you know the logic for that doesn't belong in a component because the component's business is not how do I get the data the component's business is how do I put it on the screen so the user can interact with it at least that's my philosophy now take it away from there either you know, in, in which case I don't, there's no reusability there. It's just a matter of how do I get a hold of that service? Okay, that's that's true. Then you have like purely presentational components, right? You say like, okay, no data involved. They might get data from somewhere, but they're not responsible for fetching it, just for displaying mm -hmm. it and for the interactions. And then like send events, for example, to something else to manage that. Or like exactly. trigger some, yeah, totally fine. But even then, 
you have, for, for example, let's say very, very simple examples, internationalization. You want to have internationalization based on the current user's locale. And for that, you can have a composable. So for example, Vue IT&N's library provides that. Also shout out to Kazupon, who is maintaining it forever already. Like it's crazy. He's putting so much work into that. Um, and, and even there, you have a composable you can use throughout any component. Say like, okay, I have a very simple translation method. And then sure. I put in the key. That's it. Same for like purely presentational is like, okay, let's do very simple things and say you have a... No, that's presentational. Animations would be another example where you yes. had a collection yes. of animations you wanted to use and you want that consistently used in presentation. Good, good. Yeah. And so you need some mechanism for sharing that. Yes. And, and even if you say like, okay, look, I, um, let's say I want to, um, I want to change um, my component if the user uh, has dark mode or light mode or changes the mode. Could be that you say like, I don't know, I want to switch something. Then you can also use a composable for that. And say, okay, if there is a change happening, React somehow, then the reactivity comes in again. You have kind of a state, which is okay, that's the user's scenario, the user's uh, mode, light or dark. And if it changes, do something. Or give me the mouse X and Y coordinates. If the user moves that for some reason, change something, do something with the application. And then there's the state would be just like, okay, the user's mouse position. So even tinier pieces of logic can, it's also like just, just presentational logic, not necessarily data fetching, can be extracted in such composables if there is like a state involved. Um, and to mention that, usually it's like, okay, let's start a very simple composable saying, okay, you have an interval and you want to do something every, let's say, 1,000 milliseconds. And you use set interval for that. Very common. We don't need like a composable for that. We don't need crazy logic. We write set interval, that's it. But what we need is, ah, okay, we need to clean it up, right? So you would have to write a bit of boilerplate code with like, okay, let's uh, set a global variable somewhere that's undefined or null by default, better null maybe. And then uh, on, let's say, before the component unmounts, we should check, oh, is there an interval? If yes, let's stop that because we don't want any memories in the browser. And this could be, for example, extracted to a composable saying, okay, I provide the component, an interval or an interval function, you can do whatever you want to provide your own logic there, and the cleanup will happen automatically. Same for, let's say, event listeners. Um, and there, there are, I think, lots of lots of more examples. Uh, there is a big uh, collection of these composables called view use. Uh, it's also something I use in almost every project because there, you sometimes you don't even think about things that are possible, like. Um, we can wrap tons of browser APIs. So like, oh, check if the, the user's online and react on that. So somehow you want to watch that, right? And you don't need to write a boilerplate code for that. And you have the reactivity that view provides built in already. So you can just like watch the property, react to it, um, show something based on it. And I also think that view use is, is a really uh, helpful library for, I would say, most of the projects to avoid like boilerplate because all the composables there are tested. They're used by so many people, so that's definitely worth uh, watching and using. You know, now that we've talked a lot about the Composition and Options API and view, and, and I'm glad you kind of shared your, your experience doing this for the last couple of years, too, there's a couple of topics that I know we talked about in the pre-show, uh, which you want to bring to light. And one of those is DI, or Dependency Injection in view. Uh, Ward, I'm going to hand it to you for a sec, because I know this is your baby in life. Like, you you love dependency injection. Uh, I'm indifferent. I, I could use it. I like it. Um, but I also could live without it. So 
I'd love for you to kind of drive this piece here and kind of ask your your position on DI with Alexander and kind of hear what you have to say about what DI is like in view, Alexander. Yeah, well, okay, because actually there's a good segue here because we're talking about how, so how do the, some of these features that are shared arrive in uh, in a component? And sometimes it can just be a static function and who cares, right? You just call it. But sometimes uh, they need to be configured and created and there should only be one and then it gets shared around. And um, and there's and you don't want to create it before you need it. But when you and you don't want every everything that needs that service to even think about creating it, they just want to reach for it. And if it's there, great. And if it's not there, create it for me. I don't want to think about it. And the dependency injection pattern is really a cre- is partly a creational pattern in that it's, it solves that. You know, I don't. Uh, you know, just give it to me. I need this. I need a, a foo. Give it to me. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, somewhere else, or somebody sort of says, well, here's the recipe for making a foo. And they register that recipe with the dependency injection thing. And now and the consumer just puts somewhere, says, give it to me. I need it now. And if it's there, it's there. And if it's not, it creates it. And then it gives you. This is the value of DI. It's why I like it. Uh, what's interesting um, is that Angular uh, framework has it built in and nobody else had it. John comes to me and says, I'll bet you don't need it, right? And so now I have to scratch my head and say, how the heck would I write my apps without it? And then suddenly Vue comes along and now Vue 3 has dependency injection. Um, so it's like you you jumped on the word ship here. What are you doing here on my ship? Why do you like it, uh, or why, or do you not like it? And say no, the, I don't know why they put this in view. What's your What's your feeling? Yes. So um, the good thing is, you had that for quite a bit, but it was not that popular. The whole like provide inject pattern was also available in view too, but nobody really paid that much attention to it. Um, I think it can be very useful. So one very common thing I use it for is to like provide things the whole app of course needs. So I, I want to avoid prop drilling by just like passing things from like my app.view component from the rule all the way down to every component. Um, yeah, that's a you, you fair, right? But let's get people to understand what you're talking about there. If it's a component and a component and a component and a component, the thing you don't want to do is say, well, the top, you know, these first three don't need it, but we know the fourth one does, so it has the responsibility to pass it all down. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just like goes through, it just like transitions through all the other components and uh, without like adding any value. So that's that's a very good scenario for provide inject. Uh, especially when it's about something, let's say you use GraphQL and you have an Apollo client. It's like your default client and the whole app might want to use that. Um, so then it's more than fine to select, okay, hey, there you go. I'll inject it. You can use it. Great. Um, one downside is the whole topic of, okay, if you use the eye from the top of your application, and of course, all that can't really be tree shaken or lazy loaded, right? So that means for everything that you might not need throughout the whole application, um, you you give a little bit of, let's say, um, well, not not depth in that way, but you add a bit to the bundle by default. Um, And if you say like, okay, look, I can also use a composable, um, which we've just talked about uh, in the composition API, to say, hey, okay, uh, I can write like a global variable, uh, I can set it up like kind of a singleton pattern, and provide it to the components that need that explicitly. But if you say like, okay, 80% of the components will need it anyway, then it might be like too big of a deal saying like, 
look, you know, we we don't need to do it at all. Or like, okay, I don't want to don't want to deal with that setup overhead per component. I just want to do it once. Then dependency injection can be really useful. From from my opinion, like from my side, yeah. It's interesting that you say there's a tree shaking problem. I think that may I don't know whether I don't know whether that's re- there isn't in in other frameworks. But you know, if if nobody references it or until somebody references it, then the code is not in that bundle. Uh, in other implementations, uh, so I, I maybe you know that would be discouraging you know, a little bit if if that's a price you pay. It's a if that's a price. Uh, in the end, if you say like, okay, I provide something and, and the root of the application, then at that point, it should be part of the bundle because you provide it in your app, right? So even if you don't use it but provide it, it it has to be there because that's where you initialize it. Well, w- that's a side tangent. I I, <laughs> yes. I we can. I can dispute that as some other time. Okay, uh, cool. Um, so, what kinds of things again do you use it for? You use it for like state management services, or da- what, what kinds of things do you use it for? So, state management, not that much. In in view three, you usually use, use Pina, and then also you have composables that are just stores. So, you have a store that you can once again import and select. You have then use I don't know use shopping cart store or use user store or use setting store, and there is where your data is living. Um, so it's Kind of, it's not really dependency injection because you don't say, okay, I'll provide this with the whole application, but more like a component needs it. I use that composable right there. So um, a little bit what we talked before of like explicitly importing versus just saying, there it is. But yeah, one, one common thing is like using GraphQL, having a default client um, and just providing it through a whole application. Could you do it with a composable too? Yes, most likely you can. Um, but that that's also another thing. Like you can use all of the like most many patterns interchangeably with pros and cons there. Um, but that's usually how convenient it is to just say, like, okay, I provided, it, it's typed, it's fine. I don't have to import anything. I don't need any setups. I already did that. It's okay. Go ahead and use that. You know what I think is funny about this too is I'm looking at the syntax and even the wording, like provide and inject, providers and injectors, it reminds me of the same syntax we've had in .NET, Java, Angular, all these other places, right? But then looking at the actual syntax, it reminds me of the Angular 1.x syntax for injection. Uh, and, and I don't know if it's just me looking at that, but like the array, the inject array with the string names of the uh, of the tokens, is that the only way to do that? I haven't actually used DI in view. So do you have to use string names? Because that kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, although you can make constants out of them. Yes, you can use a symbol, but then you have to refer to the symbol stored somewhere as like in a constants file or somewhere, and then say like, okay, I provide it with a symbol, and then when I want to like get it, so use the inject with that symbol again to ensure it's it's there. So no worries, you don't have to gotcha. do shenanigans just with strings. <laughs> shenanigans, I like that. Yeah, and I, I totally get that we could use a constant word. I mean, th- with that same argument, though, we could actually get rid of 99% of the constructs in all programming and just use constants, too. Uh, I'm going to play my old oh, get off my oh, lawn you, as well. You, you, so. you hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and somebody can say, oh, I don't need DI, but that's why we have global. Yeah, just throw it in global. Exactly. Hey, I like my symbols in code. I mean, the more symbols we have, the more types we have, the more the more tooling help that we can get, I can find bugs in the editor before I ever actually press run, build, or push. So to me, that's what I'm kind of looking for is, is what does my development environment look like? Uh, and knowing that that's there, that's pretty awesome. But I got to be honest, today I learned dependency injection is actually baked into parts of Vue now because... 
The last time I wrote a major view application, uh, when I looked, it was an external thing you kind of had to add in. And frankly, like you said, Alexander, I don't think anybody were really using it a lot. So I didn't. Right. Unless it's really part of the of the framework and part of the way you think and stuff like that, it just disappears. Yeah. And you have to fall back on inferior patterns, says the DI guy. And I'm happy <laughs> to use DI when it's in a, a language or a framework like .NET or Java or Angular or Vue now. I'd be happy to do it. But it wasn't, unlike Word, I wasn't like, you know, missing out on life if I didn't have it before. <laughs> I should also, to be fair... The, the DI code I write in like usual applications is rather low. But for example, for libraries, it can be very helpful to say like, oh, uh, I don't know, I have like a tooltip or popover. And it's like, okay, for all the components, I just provide all the settings I have right here. Um, so I, I think especially as a library, library author, it comes even more handy. So if you write, write component libraries, that's, that's where usually, uh, that, that's where it shines, I would say. And if you're into testing, I think it makes testing easier. Not that you can't test without dependency injection, but I it, it truly does make right. testing easier you to have. You can mock the service that's going to be injected to be what you want in the test environment. Uh, Everybody knows that Word that's, loves that's to mock things. Oh, sorry. Well, <laughs> anyway, but, but we can't we can't do a whole we'll have a thing on DI here. Uh, uh, so another thing that's been rattling around our cage, and it's really jo- rattling around John's cage, is is this whole what's a ref? I don't even know what the language is, John. You praise the <laughs> ref and reactive, ref yeah. and reactive, and I dropped a yes. bunch of links in the show notes. We've had this talk before. I think the last time we talked about it on the podcast, to be fair, Alexander was when this first got introduced before Vue three even went live. When the RC came play with in, this. yeah, yeah. Oh. And just That's to give everybody the ago. quick standing point, because my knowledge ends at this point. So I'm going to start with my knowledge is, and I want you to pick it up and tell me what's changed, where am I off my rocker? What I got excited about here is adding reactivity view got me excited. What I didn't get excited about was there's two ways to do it. And not that they're hard to understand the differences, but I started finding myself not knowing when to use which and if I should mix and match. And, and the big two things are ref and reactive. Take it from there. Tell us what's what, what are these? So Alex, just 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 as a, a preview here, he was talking about out of his rocker because it's Grandpa John and he's in his rocker and you got to get him out of his rocker. <laughs> okay. So, so far, and I, I, no, no comment on that, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have we have these two things, reactive and and ref. And if you quickly jump back to view two, we only had this data part, right? And everything in there was reactive by default. There were a few caveats because we didn't use like proxies in Vue 2. These are the thing in Vue 3 now. So like there were some things like some area operations or like some nested things could not be like be made reactive that easily. And this is a thing of the past. But if you think reactive is, I would say, the lower level building block, so to say, and works very similar to data. Reactive takes only non-primitive things like so basically objects, arrays, maps and sets as well. And you can say, okay, const, let's say state equals, then you call reactive, and then you write your object down there. What is not allowed is you cannot replace the whole object, but you can like mutate it and it will be reactive. And so the things can be tracked and changed. Sorry, let me, let me stop you there. So if I have a customer object and I make it reactive, customer name, address, city, they're all going to be mutated. But if I have to change the entire customer from Ward to John, how yeah, do you, I do you that? Can't, you can't replace the whole object. Then you would have to go through all the top-level properties to change them. 
or not use reactive. Um, because reactive is, is really helpful, but the problem is that you cannot use it when you just say like, hey, I have a string. I want to make it reactive. Hey, I have an, a number. Um, yeah, primitives, yeah. Yeah, that's a bummer. Um, and the reason behind it is actually pretty simple um, because how the different way um, of like copy by reference and copy by value works in, in JavaScript. So I think we all try to compare two objects that looks exactly the same with triple equals and we saw, ah, oh, no, that's not the same because they're copied by, they're compared by the reference in memory and not by the contents. That might change in the future with like tuples and records. That will be very nice. Looking forward to that proposal. But um, yeah, that's that's why we can't really um, like handle primitives and objects and, and arrays like more complex things the same way. Well, and, that's why we use JSON stringify, right? So uh, yeah, cl classic JSON stringify, JSON parse, or just like JSON stringify and check. True, but especially if you have like start having functions. I oh, know we don't go, we don't get there. Let's um, let's, so let's re check. just to sum up before we go to ref reactive. You're saying is great for objects. Yes, not objects where you're mutating the properties and you want the properties to be reactive, but not to swap objects. That would be that would be one option. So you can say like, okay, I have a group of, of things like we had before in view two, for example, for migration view two to view three. Is just take what you have in data, put it in reactive, and you will have very similar effects. Yeah, because data was an object literal effectively inside of it was yeah. it was a function returning an object, but yeah, exactly. And now ref is what and I, I can like jump to that conclusion straight away, what I would usually recommend using throughout the code base everywhere. Um, because the handling is the same, and it just adds a little more writing effort. So if you have a ref, you do it the same as with reactive. You just write ref, and then you put in your initial value, like one or a string, like ward or john, or an object or an array. It can be everything there. So it can handle primitives and also um, the complex uh, parts of JavaScript, let's say. But Alex, if I mutate, if I mutate, let's say we put the John object in there with a ref. If I then change John to Johnny, uh, it's not going to see that, right? It, it will, but you have to do it a bit differently. You can't just it say... It will react to the property changes? Yes. What you usually do is you define that as const, let's say, const name equals ref and then in, in quotes, John. No, no, I mean, I've got the John, I've got the employee object. Yeah, and it currently is the John object with first name, last name, and so forth. And uh -huh. I say ref the empl current employee, and then I change the first name from John to Sally, which I always do. Yes, and uh, uh, so is that? Am I getting uh, any kind of reaction from that? Yes, yes, absolutely. Every even if you change part of the objects in there, even deep, it will be updated. So okay. there will be reactivity. So you, you can, can even use this. ref for objects. You can use ref for everything. Yes. Okay. Um, and the very important part. Let's go back very quickly to the names. Why like do I need the other? Come on, Alex. You wait a minute. You told me you gave me something that works Come, in there, all cases, and then you say, "But there's this other thing that only that doesn't work for one." It's like, why would I go near it? I, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll tell you in a sec because it's it's still needed. <laughs> it's still needed. So if you say have const name equals ref John. And or even let doesn't matter. You don't reassign. You don't do name equals and do it again. You do name dot value equals and then the new name, because once again, how we have to think about okay, we we copy by reference, copy by value. We can't just like replace strings right, and numbers. Right, because the name variable isn't actually the name. It's something that has a value property that points to the name. Exactly. And yeah. ref the implementation of ref uses reactive under the hood which is why reactive is needed in general. 
So ref, basically, you can think of, okay, uh, if, if you have a reactive object and you write uh, the only key value pairs, value double, uh, value colon, John, it's very similar to what you have with ref. Very, very similar. So even there, you can write state.value equals Johnny. It would still work the same way, almost. Um, but you would not do that because it's not very idiomatic. So let me, let me kind of dig into the ref a little bit too, because this is where... I, th I think what you summarized before I ask this question is that reactive, great for objects. Uh, it's a little bit similar to how data worked in view two with the options API. Gotcha. Ref, great for primitives and for objects, but yes. it adds a little more legwork for you to ac access the actual value in code. And this last part where my question comes. So, sorry. So in code, we have, to, let's say it's name and it's set to John as, as ref. And then I want to change it in the code inside the component to Ward or Sally. Uh -huh. I have to say name.value equals Sally, right? Yes, correct. But if I use that same name uh, ref inside of my template, I don't say name, I don't bind to name.value, I bind to name, right? Yes, in the template, exactly. In the template, it will be automatically unwrapped because if you compile a clever enough saying, oh, that's ref, you don't want to have some object with value there, you just like unwrap it and take the actual value. Exactly. So and you do have to know when to unwrap and when not to wrap, right? Well, in, in the template, you can just omit the value all the time. Very, very simple rule of thumb. But I think, especially in the script part of your component, that dot value adds an immense benefit. And I'm not talking about writing more. I'm talking about the mental model. Because with the dot value, you always know when something is reactive. You don't have to check the types, you read the code and say, oh, name.value equals... Ah, okay, it's a ref. If I change that, maybe some other parts will be re-rendered. Maybe some computer properties will right. be re-evaluated. And I think this is where ref shines. Everybody was like, dot value all the time. I have to write more. Even from the view team, there was this so-called reactivity transform RFC that says like, okay, look, we write dollar ref and then we can just treat it as a normal variable. It was yeah. a very good idea at first, but then the, the next problem is, okay, you have options API, you have composition API, then you have this syntactic sugar or like basically compiler macros, you have to provide tooling support again. And it doesn't really help if you say like, okay, then I have this like unwrapped value. What if I want to give it into a function? Then you have to have another like escape hatch. Well, let me, and let me ask you a good follow-up on this too. So let's say you're inside the template and I, I'm, we'll stick with the name ref. And I was about to say by ref, but I mean ref. <laughs> so let's say we've got name in there and it's uh, set to John. And somebody clicks a button in the template, and for some reason, I want to send the value of that uh, name through the event on the click. So I have to reference it in. The, I have to actually type, write some code inside the template that says pass the value of name. Do I pass name in the template, or do I pass name dot value? Like, where does the unwrapping wrapping? Begin or end. Yeah, I, I would say you wouldn't pass that in the template. You write a handler function for click events that lives in your script part, and then you reference there. Or you say, okay, if it's really something like in a for loop or whatever, you don't want to write your own component, then you put in the like the name in the template, and in the script part, it will still be a ref. So in the script part, you always say dot value because it's code. But you have to show something dot value. Yeah. Yes. Always, exactly. Always, if you want to read the value, if you want to change right. it. So if you write a, you wrote an inline JavaScript handler, you would have to write it all out. In, in the template, not. But if you have to write, a, if you want to write a function that you call in the script part, then yes. And I would always 
suggest to move the logic to the script part, of course, to keep the template lead. Oh, everybody says that, but you know what? It's so... I know. It's so... You're right there. (laughs) I know. It is tempting sometimes when it's super simple to do something like that. I guess this is where it's broken down for me in in a very minor way. There were a couple instances where I'd seen where I had... um, I can't even think of the exact example, and I hate doing this, but like I'm inside the template, I click a button, I want to pass the value, the code doesn't exist in the component. I literally want this to then, maybe send it to a prop to somebody else. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. an event that bubbles elsewhere. Um, It could be, uh, in RxJS terms, it could be a service that runs through it. But I need to grab the value while I'm in the template. And at that point, if I'm in the template, do I still use the dot value or do I still... No, you would would just pass message, but... It depends. You could also say, okay, the event sends a ref up and deal with deal with all that on your own. And you're right. So you can make somebody else deal with do you wrap it or not. So is there a function somewhere that tells you is this thing wrapped or not? Uh, so actually, there is a function called unref, um, also provided by Vue, which means, oh, if it's a ref, then unwrap it. Otherwise, leave it as is. Um, and so there, there are quite, quite some ways to check. Also super helpful for composables once again to select, oh yeah, if you're passing something reactive, no problem. I'll unwrap that, take the value, or I will, I don't know, watch it and do something with it. And if it's just a value, all good. I'll do something else. Um, but yeah, all in all, like my take on that is I would suggest to always default to ref when using reactive uh, reactivity throughout view, unless you have a compelling reason not to. So if you're, for example, migrating from view to, to view three, I think then it's good to say like, okay, first start, put it in reactive, it's all fine. And then you can still like start grouping things by concern. So we come back to the whole like concern topic and domain saying, okay, look, we, we start with the data approach. We just migrate composition API. And then we take a look at components and say, okay, let's stick that up step-by-step. Step. Maybe let's write composables through you stuff. That's really good advice. And uh, I guess we'll get to our final thoughts in a moment, but I'll tell you kind of where I landed with that stuff too, which is a similar place that you're in with Vue. Although I've done far less Vue than you have in the last... Um, I don't know, recent memory here. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRX Redux on the front end, and .NET Microsoft Technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. Hey, Alexander, this is really, really fun talking to you. I feel like we could talk to you for about seven hours and not run Probably. out of topics. So... <laughs> We'll have to get you back on here again. Uh, but before we get into our final thoughts, I want to thank our sponsors for keeping us on the air for IdeaBlade, Ward's company. Thank you, uh, our longest running sponsor out there. For Narwhal and for AG Grid, thank you for keeping us on the air for every week. And for our final thoughts for the audience, Ward, what is your final thought today? Oh, shoot. 
<laughs> you know, after just, I just came out of the mountains and my thoughts are fuzzy, fishy, if you will. Um, but uh, I'm going to make a, uh, I'm going to suggest that if you don't, if you haven't explored dependency injection, give it a little look-see, see why people like it. And also, uh, you know, bring your, put your skeptical hat on and say, you know, uh, uh, what, uh, how would I do this if I didn't have it? Or, and do I like, do I like what I'm, what, what steps I'm taking that way? It's, it, but I think it should be in your, it, it should be something you feel like you understand what DI is and why people might want to use it. It's worth it's worth the study. It's a good call out. Uh, and I'll start go to my final thought there is I'd like to one of the big things I looked at, I'd like to talk about ref and reactor for a minute. And I think the trap I ran into when I first dabbled in this when there was like no documentation or anything. I mean, we're talking at the RFC stage and there was like an article half written by Evan at the time. Here's how it goes. Run with it. And me being me, I'm like, I dove right in. And the first thing I noticed was it wasn't just that reactive was like data. What I liked about reactive and drew me to that first was that, and not just that I didn't take value everywhere. It was the fact that I could create an object that kind of stored all the properties of my state in one place. And I did like that. I didn't like calling it data and I didn't like having to stick it in a certain section. But I do like to have all of my, let's call it, you know, component properties in one place. So I'm like, hey, this would be kind of cool. I could create an object and I can call it state on my component. And it could just contain all the reactive things I need. Uh, and then I started doing that and passing it around. And I ran into all the issues that you were talking about today. And then I slowly was like, man, if I have to refactor this using ref, what, not that it was hard, but it just felt like I was losing something I really liked because I couldn't have that one big thing. And, and then I realized, why do I need that one big thing? So my final thought is go into these things with open eyes. And just because I was, I was basically so used to eating chocolate ice cream all these years with you, I was like, I want to keep eating chocolate. Um, but you know what? Sometimes you can try something else and peanut butter, cookie dough, those things are good too. Indeed. <laughs> so Alex, I, I know we, we let you, we normally let our guest have a final thought, but when I'm not going to let uh -huh. you, I'm not going to let you pick your final thought. <laughs> I want you to tell us. I wanted you to tell us about ViewVine. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> we were going to talk about that and we didn't. Yes. Okay. I, I bring that on after I, I have a, like a mini, a mini, mini, mini final thought. Okay. Yeah. First, first ViewVine very quick. It is very interesting if you, if you come from a world different than Vue. So for example, React, it's like, okay, I can write lots of components in a single file. It's very uncommon in Vue to do that because you have the single file components, the SFCs. Right, and um, there were like big discussions around it. And at some point, uh, uh, a member of the community thought, "Okay, hey, maybe I can like do it another way." So Viewwine was born, um, and it's a very interesting uh, concept of saying, "Okay, it's like I define components and functions. I still have, in a way, the template part that Vue has, but a more like JSX style, but without JSX. But you call still with like a." Um, a template that draws an attack function there. And it, it feels a bit like React and Vue had a, had a child, kind of. Um, <laughs> a, a, little, a little bit like that. Um, it's, it's very interesting, and it's worth checking it out for people running into that issue saying, hey, oh, I really want to write multiple components in one file, but I, I don't. I, I think most of the people 
in the viewer don't do that. But if you've ever thought, hey, it would be nice, take it, take a look into it. And the funniest part is, even though I would not like write it that way, I had, like, had the moment one or two times thought ah, a second component could be cool, but I I just created a new file and it was fine. Um, it is very interesting that because of this ViewVine, uh, Volar, the view language tools, um, their next version will come out soon and it will like be in half the size and way faster, also thanks to <laughs> this library. So sometimes experimental approaches um, in the community can have so many good side effects, even if it won't be, at least for me, not the way to write view components anytime soon. Uh, it's fun giving it a try. Plus, it's so nice to see what open source and synergies um, can create. That's kind of cool. So with a ViewVine, then you can create what historically we have single file components, SSC, instead of view, you can actually put multiple components in the same file, similar to what you can do in React, right? Yes, exactly. Cool. Um, I got hung up for a second. I got quiet when uh, you were talking about view and React having a baby. Uh, I was just <laughs> trying to figure out who'd get custody. Um, but anyway... <laughs> And you said you had another final thought, Alexander? Yes, yes. Uh, and it's very simple. Um, I would usually encourage everybody just like, okay, if you're not sure how it works with reactivity and you just tried out, there is a wonderful SFC playground online. So it's basically a full-fledged Monaco editor and a view runtime where you can just write view code and see how things behave, even with a very nice yeah, Hello World with, uh, with a ref, using a ref example out there. Link is in the show notes. Give it a try, try it out and see what you like the most. Awesome. Hey, Alexander, thanks for coming back on. You are awesome. And uh, Ward, thanks for coming back from the mountains. We, we love having you back on the show. So, And for shaving. Everybody in the podcast appreciates you coming on with a clean shave because they can totally see you uh, in the video <laughs> here, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you all for coming. Feed another week of Web Rush. We appreciate you being here. You hear from us every Thursday morning. See you next time. <laughs>